Good Morning Nancy is a horror movie podcast, so it may not be for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Good morning, Nancy. My name is Gracie. And if you're new to the show, you won't notice anything different, obviously. (laughs) But normally, my dear friend and co-host, Abby, would chime in at this moment. So uh, I got to do a little bit of housekeeping before we get started. And I need to explain where Abby is. Uh, So at the time of this recording, my regular co-host, Abby, just recently had emergency surgery and is now recovering. Plus, she just made a very unexpected move to a new home. Now, I don't want you all to worry because she is okay. She um, has a lot on her plate right now, and she and I will both be back in a few weeks when I am done with my maternity leave. (laughs) So for those of you who don't know, which most of our listeners do by now, I am pregnant. Um, I am 37 weeks, so this kid could come any day now. Uh, So speaking of maternity leave, I want to mention that this is the last episode that uh, we will be doing of Good Morning Nancy until we return from my maternity leave. Now, I want you all to know that this is, of course, not the end of Good Morning Nancy. The show is just going to be on a little break for a while. And honestly, Abby and I really need it. Not only am I going to be expelling a living human from my body very soon, and then diving headfirst into motherhood for the first time. But uh, Abby will obviously be very preoccupied with healing her own body from the surgery and, of course, getting used to her new home. So yeah, I think her and I are both really going to need this time to get our new schedules figured out uh, so that we can come back to the show bigger and better than ever, baby. So I'll be posting once in a while on our social media and I'll also be posting pretty soon about when exactly um, the maternity leave will be and when it will end. Obviously, the date is subject to change. Because, you know, sometimes life happens. But as of right now, we are scheduled to return on May 5th, 2020. And I know that seems like a million years away, trust me. But it's going to be great. Like, I think we need like that, like that extended time away to sort of get used to everything. One last thing. I just want to say that these past few weeks, the show has received more recognition than ever which has been both like a huge blessing, but also a curse. (laughs) Because now, like of all times, we are taking a break. (laughs) And it's been really hard for me to come to terms with like stepping away from the show for a little bit, because now people who Abby and I really admire are starting to listen to our show and like let us know that they're listening. So I've been feeling really torn about it. But You know, I'd rather start this break on a high note than push through and watch Good Morning Nancy just fall apart because, you know, I'm exhausted and trying to keep it going. And Abby and I love this show way too much to have that happen. So Good Morning Nancy came up at the perfect time in our lives. And I think this extended break 
has come at a really great time too. Like we've grown so much in the past two years. Like that's the thing. The show is so young. It's only been on for two years. We have grown as people. We have become better people. We've become better researchers and our listener base has grown and we've made such amazing horror movie friends since starting the show. Like I, I am in a position now where I'm moving constantly. So like my, I have friends all over the world, all over the States. So it can be hard. And knowing that I have like almost this extended family of people who love horror, especially women and members of the LGBTQ movement who also love horror have been like, I don't know, it's been like the best thing ever. So I'm really fortunate. And I know Abby feels this way too. Like we just feel so loved and so, I'm going to start crying. Um, so, so happy that we have made so many friends for this little show that we started for fun. And, um, yeah, so I just, I'm, I'm so overwhelmed with love from everyone who listens and lets us know, like on our Patreon, on our Patreon and on our social media, how much they love our show and love certain episodes. And okay, so I'm going to get sappy again towards the end. But right now, I'd like to introduce all of you to my very good friend, Kate motherfucking Scully. Say hi, Kate. <laughs> Hello. I'm so very excited to be part of this episode today. <laughs> Yay. I'm so excited you're here too. Kate is one of my very best friends. We met in college like 14 years ago, I think, 2006, many, many moons ago. And I, I can't believe it was that long ago, honestly. And I feel like my math is off, but I don't think it is. It, it's not. And I feel really old now. So thank, <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Wow. Um, so Kate was kind enough to step in for Abby for this last episode before maternity leave. So thank you so much, Kate, for helping us out. You are most welcome. Any, honestly, anything to help you ladies out and end this amazing season with a bang. Yay. Okay. So um, now one of the many reasons I love Kate is that she knows a shit ton about <laughs> mythology and women's history and film. And I don't know anyone else who knows as much as she does. Like she's super knowledgeable about these topics. So I am just so excited to be talking about this movie with you, Kate, because Yay. <laughs> that's one reason. But another reason is because... <laughs> You are very, very pregnant right now, just like me. So pregnant. <laughs> yes, like we are both due around the same time. So let's get started. This is season seven, episode 10, the final episode of the season. And we are so excited for you all to join us. So guys, grab a cup of coffee because today we'll be discussing the 2016 British slasher black comedy, Prevenge. It was written and directed by Alice Lowe and it stars Alice Lowe, Kate Dickey, Kayvon Novak, Joe Hartley, and Gemma Whalen. And we're not shy about spoilers, so if you haven't seen this film, we highly suggest that you pause this episode and watch it. Are you still here? Okay, then let's get this morning started. According to Kate Erbland for IndieWire, Alice Lowe spent a decade getting ready to direct her first feature, but after taking two short films to Cannes, she started to worry that the clock was running out. She was pregnant with her first child, relatable, and had spent the past decade thinking about her first feature in between acting gigs. Quote, if you're a woman over 35, no one is going to hand you a free pass. You have to work your ass off. That's what I'm doing now. Unquote. 
In an interview with Jenny Miller, Lowe is quoted as saying, A few of my actress friends said to me, don't tell anyone that you're pregnant, just keep it quiet because if you tell people, you won't get work. And it won't be just like three months or six months, it will be like five years because people just assume that you are busy or that you've changed beyond recognition or that you have gone into a different casting bracket or something. People just write you off, unquote. So back to the Indie Wire article, in late 2015, Lowe was six months pregnant and coming to grips with the fact that her professional aspirations were about to change in a major way. That's when Western Edge Pictures arrived, offering up financing for Lowe to make a low-budget film. And Lowe couldn't believe it. She said, quote, I was a bit like, why is this happening now? Where have these people been the last two years? And she remembers that she initially turned down the offer because of her pregnancy, the very thing that was causing her so much professional worry, before realizing that what she perceived as a hindrance could actually become the meat of her film, unquote. Lowe wrote the script in record time, and shooting only took 11 days in Cardiff, Wales. And uh, the quick shoot gave low relief since she didn't have to worry too much about her growing stomach and um, continuity errors. After the film was done, Lowe made a comment to her producers about how she was like super surprised how smoothly like everything went with the with filming and her producers were like, um, Alice, actually everything like wasn't smooth. We just didn't tell you. And you know what? That's a good producer right there. That's how it's done. You just lie the whole way until until the show's over. So before the film was released, Lowe gave birth to a baby girl named Della, who was able to portray Ruth's newborn in the film at just 10 days old. So the film received positive reviews when it was shown at the Cannes Film Festival in May of 2016. And then less than a year later, it received a limited release in UK cinemas in February of 2017. That same year, the AMC-backed horror movie streaming site we all love, Shudder, got the distribution rights for Prevenge. So Prevenge actually had a limited release in the States in March of 2017, as well as going to Shudder. Um, on a budget of about $100,000, the film only earned about ninety-four in theaters. So uh, it's clear that that's a very positive thing that, that the film went to Shudder. According to Katie Smith Wong, quote, Overall, Prevenge is a witty and humorously dark feature that combines the gruesome of a stalker killer with the deadpan banter of a British comedy, unquote. And according to Mark Kermode, quote, as for Lowe, who reportedly breastfed and changed nappies in the editing room, she's proved herself a multitasking mother of invention, unquote. So with that said, let's review the plot. So Ruth is the main character and she's a very pregnant woman and she arrives at a reptile pet shop and asks the shopkeeper if he would be able to show her any of the really dangerous animals in the back. The shopkeeper obliges and it is there that Ruth murders him. We soon learn that the shopkeeper as well as six others including Ruth's boyfriend were involved in a climbing accident. Out of all that were involved, Ruth's boyfriend was the only casualty, though it is unclear why. The next day, Ruth goes to a club to seduce a DJ, who is another one of these survivors. 
The DJ takes her home, hoping to have sex with her. Instead, he is murdered by Ruth. It becomes known that Ruth isn't the one in charge of these killings, but in fact her fetus who speaks to her telepathically. The fetus is upset that her father has died in the accident and is making Ruth avenge her father by killing the survivors. Ruth goes on to kill more of the survivors, including one of the survivors' roommates who she regrets killing because he was, quote-unquote, so kind to her. She attempts to kill the climbing instructor at, the pl- at his place of work, but he starts to suspect that something is wrong and so she leaves. Ruth begins to add her victims' names and drawings to them in her kill book, all the while making regular visits to her midwife for checkups. The midwife notices that Ruth seems out of touch and has strange bruises on her body, so she tells Ruth that she is going to call social services just to be safe. Ruth begs her not to because she knows that that they will take away her baby. The midwife promises not to if Ruth shows signs of cleaning up her act. Ruth attempts to kill the climbing instructor again by following him to a Halloween party. There, she finds him standing with his wife, who is also pregnant. She begs her fetus not to make her kill him because she doesn't want what happened to her to happen to his wife and unborn child. The fetus gets mad and Ruth's water breaks. Ruth follows the instructor to a room and corners him, and she tells him that she found out she was pregnant the day her boyfriend died. She then asks how the accident happened and why her boyfriend was the only one who perished. The instructor explains that the accident wasn't anyone's fault and that they all agreed on the choice that was made. Ruth asks him who cut the cord, but the instructor just keeps telling her that he is sorry. Ruth begins to experience contractions as the instructor explains to her that her boyfriend had told him that he was going to break up with her. Ruth doesn't believe him, but the instructor insists. Ruth's contractions become too much, so she is whisked away to the hospital where she gives birth to a healthy baby girl. Ruth is surprised by how normal her child is, telling her midwife, quote, she's not talking to me anymore, unquote. Ruth realizes that maybe she isn't right for motherhood and kisses her baby goodbye. She goes to the cliff where her boyfriend died, and there she finds the instructor, He smiles at her when he sees her, but Ruth doesn't smile back. Instead, she raises her arms, screeches at him, and seems to attack him before the film cuts to black. All right, so the Bechdel test. Yes, it passes. It passes a few times. There's an entire scene between Ruth and Ella where they talk about like the job interview or the fake job interview, basically Um, their careers and Ruth's pregnancy and life outside of work. And then there's an entire scene between Ruth and Len as well, where they talk about like, you know, the fake charity that Ruth works for and working out in sports and whatnot. So yeah, like no men are mentioned in these scenes at all. So like, this is like a Bechdel test dream right here. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's great. And it's so natural too. And this is what bothers me oh, a totally. lot is that like people feel like it's like you have to have a men in a conversation between women and it's like it's it makes it seem more unnatural I feel like when you force that in. So I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> so Nancy's dream team test was the supporting cast at least 50% women? Yes. Did a woman write, di- direct, edit, or produce the film? Yes. It was written and directed by Alice Lowe, and one of the producers of the film was a woman by the name of Jennifer Handorf. Was the final girl or main character a person of color? No. 
And were there any um, openly LGBT plus characters in the film? No. Okay. So, so close. So close. So, close. <laughs> so let's get into our discussion. Uh, let's start with pregnant women as the monster. So uh, Katie Putrick said, quote, horror is practically baked into the cake of pregnancy. After all, what is a baby but an ever-growing parasite poised to gorely burst forth after strip mining its breeder's nutrition? <laughs> Don't hype it up too much here, because, man. <laughs> Adam and Eve may have hatched the idea that women are vessels of evil, but horror films have turned the notion into a fertile subgenre. Prevenge is the latest in the litter, a darkly funny slash fest that rides roughshod over conventions by presenting its heavily pregnant protagonist as predator, not prey, unquote. Okay, so the pillar elements of horror often come from places of the unknown, the misunderstood, and the loss of control in the world around us. It's, it's pretty commonplace in any kind of horror. And I think what makes pregnancy such a palatable subject for horror is because it hits on all of these factors for all genders. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And pregnancy has a long history of, not, no pun intended, but misconception uh, being there. And then always that there has always been a gender divide between the study of it versus the practice of it. Uh, birth was a woman's business for thousands of years due to the well besides the obvious of you know women are the only ones that can give birth but also the patriarchal and like theocratic promotion in many if not most cultures that a woman's body was either too sacred or too sexual to study and practice you know madonna and madonna and the whore basically right yeah um, of course and therefore it was kind of sacrilegious or immoral to study that or to be involved in that if you were a man which is ridiculous. And it led to the idea that from conception to birth was a magical mystery tour of unexplained wonders because it was men writing books and teaching other men essentially what they didn't know as a fact, rather than just getting it right from the source, the women who were having the children and those that were aiding others having the children for generations. Yeah, wow. So even in an age of information sharing and the wonders of modern medicine that we live in now, a trained male physician, an OB with presumably decades of experience, can understand how it works and what should or even can happen, but will never really understand the entire experience because physically he can't. Mm -hmm. They can sympathize with the process, but not empathize. I think that's right. I usually, or is it the other way around? I always get those mixed up. <laughs> I think that's right. But regardless, there's always going to be a gender divide when it comes to pregnancy and childbirth. You know, um, not only is this so true from like a medical standpoint, I love that, but um, I think that this is also true from a media and film standpoint, because like, mm -hmm. and we've talked about this before on the show, but I think that's why it's so important for women and people of color to tell their own stories, you know, like, yeah. okay, I'm not saying that like people shouldn't explore 
and, and tell a story from like a different point of view, like one a point of view that they maybe don't understand. But like, right. you have to admit that when women aren't able to dictate their own path and express their own feelings in film, and in medicine as well, of course, society's perceptions of women's stories are just muddled. Absolutely. This is why there's this stereotype that women are so mysterious and like their bodies are so <laughs> mysterious. Like we're not mysterious. It's <laughs> it's because nobody is freaking listening to us. Like mm-hmm. they're listening to the men who are telling or trying to tell our stories for us, whether it be in film or in medicine. And I believe like most women have felt like they've lost control. Absolutely. And and speaking of losing control, a very definite pillar of horror, by the way, mm-hmm. um, I feel like this is both a strong factor in being pregnant as a whole, as well as the theme in the movie. Um, during pregnancy, everything you are and do from eating to exercising and even sleeping is really not up to you anymore. It's about the baby. Yeah. You know, doctors and partners and society at large, not to mention <laughs> hormones the babies are causing to charge through your system are dictating how you function from day to day for the betterment of that child. Because of this, essentially there's a feeling of loss of your own body autonomy and self-identity during pregnancy. And it can be a really, truly difficult thing to deal with. I dealt with it for sure. And it's, it's, it's hard. And your body is not really your own anymore. Its purpose has shifted without your go-ahead. <laughs> and it's running under different orders. It's a very, I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that feel to it. Yes. And, <laughs> and what made this film particularly interesting for me personally is that Instead of Ruth feeling victimized by the loss of autonomy and being puppeted by her unborn child or, you know, her perception of being puppeted by her unborn child, uh, she just kind of leans into it. She, Ruth accepts it and it drives her willingly. The perceived demands of the baby gives her purpose while still allowing her to disassociate from the responsibility of performing these acts until the very end when she kind of takes responsibility for it. She's not in control, but she's still participating and driven by it, and she has a reason to keep going. And this makes an interesting turn for her as a character from a potential victim to a participant villain. Yes, and you know, it's incredibly common in maternity horror uh, that a pregnant woman, the pregnant woman in the film is not only the main character, but also the victim. And the best example of this is, of course, Rosemary's baby. Like, so it's common for the pregnant character to be the one in danger of their unborn demon baby or in danger from the people who are after her and her unborn baby or both like Rosemary. But in Prevenge, we kind of get a fresh take on this. Not only is Ruth the psycho killer instead of the victim, but her baby is normal. Mm -hmm. She even says like at the end, like she's just a normal baby. And she's like shocked by this. She's incredibly taken aback. And because like throughout the film, Ruth has it in her head that her baby is the one who is in control of everything, not only her raging hormones, but her murderous tendencies. And we see a bit of this in David Cronenberg's The Brood. Um, But I'd argue that that has a very masculine idea behind like a woman's rage and childbirth. Right. Where Prevenge feels more feminine to me. And maybe that's why I personally connect with this film more than maybe any other um, film about pregnancy. And, and maybe that's why I can understand Ruth's monstrosity in this too. Like 
it could be looked at as a metaphor for her dreams and her goals being put on hold or possibly disappearing forever because her baby is quote unquote in control. And like Alice Lowe kind of touches on this in an interview with Nikki Bowman. And she says, quote, I feel like the Earth Mother cliche has been fully explored and we could all benefit from seeing something else. This isn't me saying all pregnant women secretly want to slay, although some might. It's me saying pregnant women are people with their own goals, hopes, dreams, and motivations, and that doesn't have to be swallowed up by pregnancy. The whole film is really a kind of meditation on loss of identity. I turn to the fear of violence against my own body outside of myself, as it were, unquote. So yeah, that's pretty powerful stuff. It is indeed. Preach, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Ruth's motivations as a pregnant woman. Um, This is another quote from Lowe in Katie Putrick's article. She says, quote, Ruth feels society is a mess and it is like Travis Bickle going, I'm going to take it upon myself to clean this place up. But in doing it, she actually is cutting herself off from the world, unquote. And Lowe continues to explain, female characters are always mothers or girlfriends who provide some sort of network for the hero who then goes out and does whatever he wants. But what about a woman who's cut off from society? Ruth's philosophy is that society is selfish and collectively her victims made a bad decision to destroy the love of her life and ruin the future of her baby, unquote. Wow. Yeah. And that's another thing that I love about this film. And again, that's why I think it's so important to have many different voices behind the camera when it comes to cinema, because even though every pregnancy is very different, like you and I have both had very different pregnancies and we're due at the same time. And like, damn, like there was a lot of stuff in this film that I think we both really connected with. Absolutely. Yeah. And like this time around, like watching it as a pregnant person, the first time I watched it, I wasn't pregnant. But now watching it as a pregnant person, like I'm going to get really personal here, but there's one, like there's one thing that like bugged me the most in my pregnancy and that was being told no. Mm-hmm. Or like you can't do that because you're pregnant kind of stuff. And like it made me feel so useless So, like, seeing Ruth struggle with other people telling her that she's not in control, it really has you, like, look at all of the evil that she's doing with different eyes. Because I think she feels like by killing these people, she's finally in control of something, which she actually, she blames on her baby at first until the end when she finally, like, owns up to it. Like, it was all her her choice all along kind of thing. And, like, the fact that she is dealing with this pregnancy all alone as well, like, that her boyfriend isn't there to help her, like, that's another thing that, like, really ate me up inside while watching it. And, like, when she is at his grave and she's, like, laying down at his grave and she's saying, like, I can't do it alone. Like, you know I cried the entire rest of the film after watching (laughs) that scene that really hit me hard because I I really thought like man if my husband was not here with me I don't know what I would do like I would probably fall apart like she is like who knows and of course so watching yeah and so watching this I was a mess and um the music by toy drum didn't help either it's such a beautiful (laughs) beautiful soundtrack it's so good But yeah, like I really could feel the emotional turmoil that comes with being pregnant and feeling alone in your struggle. And because even if you're not pregnant, like I I do feel like if you've ever felt completely helpless helpless and alone, that scene especially I think is going to be a a big trigger for anyone, really. Absolutely. 
And like, obviously, Ruth's morals are troubling. (laughs) But I think that's like the huge point, because the majority of us can handle films where like, the male protagonist is morally troubled, like, um, Alice Lowe mentions Taxi Driver. And of course, there's also Joker, which is a huge film right now. And um, even John Wick, even Keanu Reeves, you know, but (laughs) it's rare to see a woman in that position, especially a pregnant woman. Because pregnant women are supposed to be these perfect virgin mothers like the we are supposed to be these angels who he who eat all the right food (laughs) and make make all the right decisions and don't have any mental health issues or experience grief because being pregnant is supposed to be this happy time and you know Lowe said in an interview in that interview with nikki bauman she said quote i wanted ruth to be someone who is the opposite of the pregnancy archetype She's looking to the past, not the future, in love with death, not thinking about new life, unquote. And I love that. And she continues saying, quote, I actually read about women who had lost their partners while pregnant. And what was striking was the bitter cocktail of emotions. Some said they resented the baby for being alive. And many said that they would swap the baby for the partner to be living instead. Some said that they felt, yeah, some said that they felt coerced by healthcare professionals and relatives to quote unquote, put aside their grief for the sake of the baby, as if their grief was selfish. And all of this made me think like how much social pressure there is upon women to be self-sacrificial, especially as mothers, unquote. I love that too. I, I, I think intrinsically, it makes people uncomfortable to see a character with drastically varying elements because on a subconscious level they play as contradictory um seeing seeing a mother figure as a murderer in some minds is seeing the hero as a villain um it's possible to be both but it kind of rattles the subconscious stereotype we would have for each you know um a mother is is nurturing and life-giving and supplemental and a killer is a reaper and a cutter of threads and it it ends a story. So how can someone be both simultaneously when they contradict each other? Mm -hmm. But quite frankly, it happens pretty frequently if you really, really think about it. Like you see it all the time in film. Um, Jason Voorhees' mother was both. I'm sorry, spoiler alert, but this movie's 40 years old. So if you, if you listen to this podcast, Get on it, folks. It's 40 years old this year. I think most people <laughs> <looked> know. <laughs> hopefully. Um, hopefully. We can really, really hope. Um, it could also be argued, and I'm, I'm waiting for a serious eye roll from the peanut gallery on this one, but the alien queen from the movie Aliens is both a killer and a mother. I, I know, but stick with me here. I watched that not too long ago with a friend of mine who had never seen it, so of course we had to watch it. And she went uh, during the scene where, you know, Ripley essentially kills all the eggs right in front of the queen. She, my friend went on an emotional tangential rant about how that human was blowing up her babies and she worked so hard to make it. How dare she? How dare Ripley kill her babies? Like she was actively upset about it. And at the time it seemed so funny to my husband and I that she was defending the alien because we would never we would never think that personally but you know what 
she's absolutely right. It's that double archetype. You can be both. And these archetypes we discuss are neither strictly regimented or need to contradict because people are complicated and characters should be too. Honestly, in my opinion, characters are far more interesting when they don't have, you know, when they don't fall into one category because it gives them so much more dimension. A hero doesn't have to be good. A killer can be empathetic and or sympathetic. A mother can hate. Ogres have layers. <laughs> They're complicated. <laughs> you know, um, pregnancy and the beginning of motherhood are such delicate stages for obvious reasons. But I think that we fail to realize is that like women are not just vessels for babies at this stage. Like, of course, we are that, but that's not our only that's not our only like goal in life at that moment. Like there's a lot going on internally that is hidden by what society perceives as the beauty of motherhood. And you almost never get a horror film that is solely about the woman herself during her pregnancy. And if you do it, like if you do get like a, a horror movie with a pregnant woman, of course, like we talk about Rosemary's baby, but it focuses more on the horror of being pregnant and feeling like everyone is out to get you. And that's certainly like a vulnerable feeling that I think all pregnant women can, you know, um, relate to or pregnant people can relate to. And there's but there's like another side of it as well like you have feelings of of meanness and anger and selfishness and i think that those feelings while you're pregnant are extremely valid and ruth has Absolutely. and ruth has those feelings so it's okay to be a bitch when you're pregnant <laughs> it's totally acceptable anyone who tells you otherwise is wrong <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's get into our final thought. There's one little character quirk that Ruth has besides her murderous tendencies. And that's that she has a kill book. Um, it's a very small part of her character, but I, for me, it speaks volumes. Like Alice Lowe said about this, quote, I started researching the idea of spells and incantations and voodoo. I have this idea that Ruth is an artist, and so she draws and is like fascinated by female deities and fertility dolls. People visit the tomb of Marie Laveau, who was a voodoo practitioner, and put three crosses on it as part of a rite. In Ruth's kill book, she puts three crosses as an expression of curse slash wish fulfillment against her enemies, unquote. And I love this not only because it's so dark and magical and witchy, but because journaling is traditionally a very feminine activity. And according to uh, Dr. Pamela Peak, quote, when life's challenges seem overwhelming, women often find that talking about their stress helps them put it into perspective. Journaling is the simple act of regularly jotting down your life events and feelings on paper. It gives you the opportunity to reflect on the experiences and events you've recorded, unquote. And obviously, Ruth is recording her nefarious actions, but... <laughs> Going back to this film being more feminine or a more feminine look at a pregnant killer, I think that this journal, this kill book, is another way of sort of adding to that. I love the idea that something so therapeutic for Ruth becomes like an idea book for murder. Instead of like keeping a baby journal like most pregnant people do, she keeps track of the people she's killed during her trimesters. So she measures her progress with her baby in murders. 
Yeah, and I, I find it interesting, too, that, you know, birth books or, or baby books are most frequently used, you know, to track the growth of a child, to track their progress. Most of them start when you find out you're pregnant and continue through, you know, when the baby is several years old. You mark their landmarks, you mark their achievements, and instead Ruth is using this book that is intended to show how a child's life develops and forms to show how she is developing as a murderer and growing and evolving. She gets stronger and has more confidence in the killings as they go on and marks them as landmarks in this book the same way, you know, <laughs> any other parent would mark and record first steps or first words or, you know, anything of that sort. So she's showing her own growth and development rather than that of her child. And I think in a way, I think that also shows the kind of pain and isolation she's in. This is what she has. You know, this is what drives her. And for the time being, it's what's defining her too. Right. Another inspiration for the kill book is the front piece of Thomas Hobbes, um, Leviathan, which was illustrated by mm -hmm. Abraham, I think, Bossy in 1651. Mm -hmm. um, and Lowe says, quote, this illustration, again, informed Ruth's kill book and the image she draws of herself looming over a city with a knife in her hand and a baby in her belly. I was reading a lot about society and the individual in relation to writing the script. Hobbes talks of humans as being naturally disposed to violence, that we enter a social contract in order to not just kill each other, and that gives us protection, and that you have to have rulers to enforce these civil behaviors. All of this informed a lot of the basis of the death of Ruth's partner and the baby's views about society. Ruth is breaking out of the social contract, but at the same time, she thinks she has come to deliver justice. <laughs> okay, world, you have been very naughty and a spanking is in order. And by spanking, I actually mean stabbing, like a lot of stabbings, like oodles of it, really. It's going to be rather messy, but I'll be damned if I'm cleaning it up afterwards, to be completely frank. I'm sorting you all the fuck out. <laughs> and I don't care what you think. Oh, <laughs> mom! <laughs> <laughs> yes, and so to end the show, I actually have a psychology-themed note that I got from Abby about this topic. Uh, so there's a topic in child psychology that goes hand in hand with Hobbes's idea of humans being inherently evil. And basically, that idea is compared with John Locke's theory that the human mind is at birth like a blank slate, and that society really shapes human beings into what we are. In Ruth's case, her fetus, or so we're led to believe, is causing such mayhem because of what society has done to her mother. She's spiteful and wants her mother to exact revenge for her because like, she has these preconceived notions of what people are like and why these people have to die. So it's like taking those two notions and blending them together to create this perfect storm inside of Ruth, which is the prevenge. Love it. Love it. Ooh, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, you guys, that's it for this week's episode of Good Morning Nancy. So don't forget to check out our merch shop. We've got coffee mugs and sweatshirts and t-shirts and more. Head on over to goodmorningnancy.com slash merch and click the shirt icon and that will take you right to our shop. And the shop will remain open, of course, while we are on break. 
And normally it's here where I ask our non-patrons to go to patreon.com to help support us there. But because Abby and I won't be making any new content for about two and a half months, we decided to put Patreon on hold for you all. Um, Our patrons have been (laughs) the number one reason Abby and I are still around. So I want to now mention all of our current patrons. We have Ryan Bennett, Shauna Bowman, Sophia Vetrano, Stacy Burt, Valerie Whitaker, Vanessa Lawton, and WTL, JC Alicia, Jillian Lifson, Julie Jansen, Kate Scully, <laughs> Lucy, Maggie Rose, Michael, Nick Bassett, Paul Green, Roxanne Zoltan, Ashley Shields, Carolyn Girk. Chris Sinatra, Keenan, David Bigler, Dorian Lecter, Eric Riley, Felicia Sloan, Gizmo, and Ivan Torres. You guys, oh my god. Thank you all so much for all that you've given. Whether it's been from our lowest tier or our highest, every single little bit has counted. It is such a huge blessing to have all of you in our life. Thank you all so, so much. And until we get back from maternity leave, you can always continue to help support the show and stay up to date by following us on social media. Facebook at Good Morning Nancy, Twitter at Good Morning Nan, and Instagram at Good Morning Nancy Podcast. You can also tell a friend and spread the word about our show. And because they're new to the show, you can tell them to binge listen because they have plenty of time to do so now. Well, thank you again, Kate, for helping us out with this last episode before maternity break. Yay! Thank you so, so much for having me. This has been really amazing to be a part of. Yes, I am just so glad that you were here and that you enjoyed it. And you guys, I hope you listening, you enjoyed it too, because it was fun. (laughs) You guys, I love you all to death. Have a good morning. Bye-bye.